Okay. Welcome to the Making Amends Workshop. My name is Carrie, and I am a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, everyone. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic devices be turned off now. Now I'm supposed to pause. I'm done with the pausing. We remind you that this it says his session. We remind you that his session is being taped. All speakers must sign the release form. So I'll have this release form right over here. Thank you, Katie. And feel free to um, just sign it at, after you share at the end when we have the individual shares or before, whatever you prefer. Might be easier after. I don't know. It's up to you. I'm not a control freak. Okay. I'm recovering. <laughs> Um, to protect our anonymity, no photography, audio, or visual recording is allowed. The opinions expressed here today are those of the individual OA members and do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. The format for this session is as follows. We will have three speakers who will, who will share for 20 minutes each, followed by three-minute open pitches until the end of, our, of this session. The topic for this session is making amends, clearing our side of the creek. The following are readings from Voices of Recovery, page 245, and the 12 Steps and 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. Quote, wreckage from my past keeps me focused on others. This provides a distraction from my side of the street and my part of the story. Focusing outward means I am still driven by guilt, resentment, or shame. None of these emotions permit me to be centered or to stay in the moment. They distract me as much as compulsive overeating does. When I do a ninth step, I'm facing my relationship problems head on. I can then say I have done what I can to right whatever wrongs I caused in the past and have changed my behavior towards people in the present. By doing this, I slowly bulldoze out the debris of shame, resentment, and guilt. I then have space to let lightness in. Spirituality is the essence of lightness. When we finish our amends, most of us feel closer to our higher power than ever before. Okay. Our first speaker this morning, I'm happy to introduce, is Catherine or Katie. Katie from Pacifica. Oops, sorry. Good morning. My name's Katie. I'm a compulsive overreader. I'm laughing at the whole Catherine thing. It's like, that's my legal name. And the registration was interesting. It's like, are you Catherine, Katie? What is it? Anyway, it's an ongoing fun time in my life. Keeps life interesting. Um, God, can we say the serenity prayer one more time? God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. 
Thanks, you guys. Um, God, I'm always nervous when I speak, you know? I mean, I've been in program. I've been around these rooms, or I've known about these rooms since 1990. And, um, and even though I've spoken a bunch of meetings and I know how much love there are in these rooms, you know, my ego just wants to give this awesome share that's just going to, like, inspire everyone to this happy, joyous, free, you know, super easy, abstinent life, you know? And that's really not going to be... If that happens, that's cool, but that's not because of anything I did or said, you know? This is really God's share. My inner critic, you know, I've sent her out to play in the pool, you know, um, but my is she's all like, you could have prepared for this more, and, you know, you didn't prep, whatever, you know, and it, it is what it is. I prepped as much as I can. You know, this is my story, and if it comes out completely like crap, you know, we got two other speakers, and y'all are going to share, and there's other workshops, so there you go. <laughs> Um, I'm going to pass around my pictures so that will hopefully fill in um, some of my story. I don't want to dwell on too much what it was like because this is about amends. And I've got some – I'm really – I was really stoked that they asked me to speak on amends because I had some really awesome experiences doing my ninth step. So hang on one second. So I just mentioned the ninth step, but I actually think the pertinent steps I want to talk about are steps 8, 9, and 10. Because um, eight is really where you get ready to make those amends, and then ten is where you keep making the amends. Um, but I think also um, I need to talk about some of working the other steps before that because I think they're, they're in order for a reason, and um, you really can't just start with step nine. Um, and I also want to put out there in my experience, um, my abstinence date is my current abstinence date is um, August 11th of 2001. So you know, God willing, the creek don't rise. You know, I'm gonna have 11 years in a few weeks, which is kind of blows my mind. My higher power says thank you, because um, it's not me. I don't, you know, I don't know why I get this. You know, I, I I was reflecting with my roommate last night. Like I know people that have that in my opinion need this program. I know somebody who's died of this disease, and I don't know, you know, really spiritual good people, and for some reason they're not willing or able to work this program. And something in me, in both times I came into program, really, it was like, you guys are a bunch of weirdos, but you're my weirdos, and, you know, <laughs> I somehow had the willingness to, to keep coming back. So, um, so, so briefly... Um, my story is, you know, I, um, I'm 39. I, my, my very first meeting was in 1990. Um, I was a pretty normal kid. Um, if you've seen some of those pictures, you know, I look like a normal little kid, right? And I do remember my doctor telling my mother I was overweight when I was about five or six. And, um, you know, the way to lose weight was to give up, you know, not have seconds, not have desserts, you know, really sensible things, right? Um, and I'm really grateful my parents didn't become the food police, but I just remember being conscious of food being an issue back then. All of a sudden, you know, like I was the kid who could eat all the food at, you know, parties and any um, holiday that had candy, you know, my, my stash wouldn't last very long, you know, so, I, you know, and I didn't, it didn't really show my body. I was, I was kind of a chubby preteen. Um, I kind of remember having a square body, but then like I got taller and I got hips and breasts and everything kind of rearranged itself. So I thinned out, um, but I was still doing the behaviors, and I still had the bad body image. So I thought I was fat. You know, I graduated eighth grade wearing a size six petite, um, and I thought I was fat in that dress. Um, I look really good in that picture, actually. It's like, oh my god. Um, I, I was kind of chubby in high school, um, but I was still doing a lot of behaviors, a lot of the binge eating. Um, I would eat a lot of food out of the pantries, you know, and nobody questioned it. My, I had a brother. I have a brother, um, a younger brother. 
who's as a grown adult, he's 6'5". He was very athletic as a teenager. The boy needed to eat like many times the amount of food I did. Uh, and there were times where I could keep up with him. But I think if a lot of food was missing, they probably assumed my brother was eating it. Um, so there you go. So I came to my first meeting in 1990. I actually found out about OA through a poster in my high school. Uh, one of my one of the teachers had had a poster that said, anorexic, bulimic, try Overeaters Anonymous. And I wasn't... I, I, I'm, I wasn't, I never have been anorexic or bulimic. I, I just can't starve myself. I once decided I was going to starve myself until I lost all my weight, and that resolution or that decision lasted till dinner. Um, you know, uh, I actually, you know, and this is probably a God thing, I, I might have become bulimic if I could actually make myself throw up, but I, I can't do it. You know, when I get sick, when I get stomach problems, it stays there. You know, so even when throwing up would probably be a good thing, I, I can't do it. So anyway, I never became bulimic. Um, and, um, but, but I think the, the hook for me was it said overeater. Because I, I remember just feeling like there was something wrong, but how do I ask for help? You know, I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't abusing alcohol. I wasn't getting beaten up at home. I, you know, my parents weren't alcoholics. It's like, what, how do I, and I wasn't, you know, starving myself or binging and purging. It's like, how do I, how do I ask for help on this? I, I had a lot of shame around it. And so this is like 1990. This is like pre-internet. I somehow called the number. I totally remember, like, you know, writing it down, you know, like secretively with the story prepared. If someone asked me, well, you know, oh, this is for my friend. And, and I somehow got, got this, got the schedule. You know, I'm really grateful my parents were respected my privacy. They never asked about the mail because I got it in the mail. And I went to a meeting and, um, I, uh, and it was weird. <laughs> I was definitely the youngest person there. And, um, but I started abstaining and I got a sponsor and worked the steps and then life happens. You know, I, I kind of broke my abstinence and I had a hard time getting it back. And then my sponsor couldn't sponsor me. And, you know, um, I started college looking great. Um, but the pink cloud, you know, burst. And I kind of floundered around the program for about another, another two years or so, and then I just left. I woke up one morning realizing, you know, I don't have to do this. There's nobody holding a gun to my head saying you've got to go to meetings. The world will not explode if I don't go to a meeting or if I stop going to meetings. And so I just did. Um, so thank you, every single one of you, for making the choice to come to a meeting today to be at this convention. You know, at least right now. You know, we're all abstinent right now. So, you know, how cool is that? I guess we want this. On some level, so I left, and um, all I can say that's that's the only, um, and I and I floundered around like okay, I left, and then for about eight years I didn't go to meetings. I gained a bunch more weight. Um, you know, I was really depressed. I, that's just how I dealt with life. I would accept abusive relationships, um, and I don't know. Something happened in tw- in two thousand, the year two thousand. I I had this really spiritual experience where. Um, uh, I remember sitting on the beach reading some OA literature from my, you know, previous OA life and talk about a God thing. You know, I'd given these books to my friend, you know, who was interested in the program with the instructions of, you know, don't give these back to me. I don't want them back. Do whatever you want with them. I don't care. Well, I asked her for the book, if she had the books and if she, if she can give them back, she said, yes, she happened to still have them. So I sat there reading, um, I think it was the third step. And I remember telling God, I want to stop overeating. I want to stop doing this to myself. Um, and, you know, I was very clear I wasn't going back to OA to do it. You know, I'll take care of the physical with this pay and way diet program I was going to. I would take care of the spiritual with this church group I was in. And I would take care of my emotional with therapy. And, you know, 
There's nothing wrong with doing all of those things. Um, except they were not keeping me abstinent. They were not keeping me sane with the food. And thank God my higher power has, uh, you know, um, is stronger than me because a month later I walked into a meeting. So May 1st of 2000, I walked into my last first meeting, I guess. And, um, and this is where I want to start getting into the story about making amends because I, I started working the steps. You know, it took me... Um, uh, so I came in May, May, May 1st of 2000. And, you know... Immediately, again, I felt, oh, God, this is weird. I was angry that I, had, I was here. I was fearful it wouldn't work. Um, and thank God for a really awesome newcomer greeter who just smiled and said, you know, I'm glad you're here. I'm happy you're here. But there, like I said, there was a hook here. Like, you guys are my people, you know? It's like, fine, if I'm a freaking stupid-ass loser, then, you know, you guys are – anyway, whatever. It's fine. It's, I need to be here. And I've never – you know, in all the time, in all the twelve years I've been back, you know, I've ha- I've run the gamut from like, I hate everybody here. You guys are a bunch of effing losers. To like, I love everybody, you know, and everything in between. But I've never, I've never wanted to leave, so I just knew I need to be here. So okay, so getting to getting to the steps, I was at I think it was a Unity Day. I mean, I I was in the program for months before I got a sponsor. And I was trying to get a sponsor and trying to get absent. It wasn't happening. And finally, I was at a Unity Day where this woman just raised her hand at the announcements and said, I am available to be a sponsor. If you need one, come talk to me. Oh, I have 10 minutes. Hold on. i got to hurry up. Um, so I asked her to be my sponsor. We worked the steps. So I wanna, I'm going to fast forward to, um, to amends because these are great stories, right? Um, so I remember feeling – I did my fourth – I did all the steps. I, I worked step four. Um, I gave her my fifth step. I felt terrible afterwards because I had three notebooks of you know, proof of how – what a horrible person I was. Thank God there's more steps. They don't leave you at step five. So we worked step six and seven a little bit, and then I went on to step eight. And one way they say to work step eight is go look at your, um, your, your resentment list from step four. And that's exactly what I did. And I had the most wonderful experience reading over that list because a lot of those names and the stories, I read them, and I, I kind of had this neutrality around it. Where before I'd think about those situations, and they'd be like, oh, yeah, they burned me. And I, you know, da 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 just hit the whole tape plane in my head. And, it was, and I realized I'd forgiven people. Wow, you know, I'd and some people did some pretty fucked up shit, you know, pardon my language, but it was like I would forgiven people because they were human and they get to make mistakes. So somehow I, I was able to get, make the connection. Oh, well, I'm human. I get to make mistakes. So therefore, I get to ask for forgiveness, you know, in my step nine. And um, oh, I need to just pause for a second and say that I didn't get at my current abstinence until I was in the middle of my my my, my first set of ninth steps. So. There's people out there that believe you shouldn't be working the steps if you're not abstinent. Okay. In my experience, I need to keep working the steps. So I'm like, keep working the steps, keep working the steps, keep working the steps. Just go. Just keep coming back. Keep working the steps until you get it, and you will get it. I mean, my only mistake I made the first time around is I just stopped. I quit coming. I, I didn't keep coming back. So, um, cool. Okay. So I had a bunch of um, – so, so my fr- that first set of night steps, I mean, I, I think I ran the gamut from, like, financial amends to – Dead people, um, you know, I, I remember really minor ones. I, I went to a, a, a mechanic who I'd been really, really super rude to. And I remember approaching this guy. He looked scared when he saw me coming. And <laughs> I was like, wow, I mean, little me was that. Anyway, but I apologized for being really mean to him and rude to him. And he just, I just saw his face lit up like, like he was so grateful that someone would take the time to do that. Um, I... I've had some funny financial ones or some interesting financial ones. Um, I had a roommate in, in a college. Like, for a while, I didn't think I had financial ones, and it was like, oh, yeah, I do. I had a roommate where, um, you know, she had this huge care package of food, and she said, you know, help yourself. 
And I think she meant like, you know, have a granola bar or maybe one or two cookies or a couple of crackers. You know, I ate like practically half a box of Ritz crackers and like all her granola bars. And she discovered it and she was pissed. Um, and I apologized and blah, blah, blah. But I never made any offer for restitution. Well, at the time I was doing my first nine step, I tried to find her. I have no idea where she is. I, to this day, I still haven't found her. I talked with my sponsor and we figured out, okay, the, the best thing to do is just make a financial amends, make a donation to a, to a food bank. And it just happened to be, I was in a grocery store where they were doing a food drive. So I bought a box of crackers and some granola bars. Hey, put them in there. And, you know, I feel good about that. And, and if I ever do find her, I will offer to make financial amends. But that's going to have to be good enough for now until I do. Um, a funny amends I made, and this is actually something for an event that happened after I'd worked the steps, but I, um, I, was, I was out to dinner with some folks, and my friends had been drinking, and we're walking out of the restaurant, and like suddenly my friend just drops this spoon into my purse. This is really minor, but every time I carried that purse for years, I noticed this spoon. It's like, I really should give this back. I really should give this back. So I remember, you know, I, thankfully the restaurant was still in business. I walked in there. I, you know, I polished up the spoon really nice because it was, it was a silver spoon, and, and I walked in. I said, you know what? I was in here a while ago with my friends, and my friend stole this, and I want to give it back. And they were, like, practically on the floor laughing, like, okay, thanks. <laughs> but you know what? That's, you know what? I don't run the risk of eating over that. You know, I don't have to, wor- I don't have to like, get all, like, Ugh, inside every time I see that, that, use that purse, right? The other financial amends, which is really, I think, a funny one. Um, I worked for an airline, one of my first jobs out of college, and um, when, I, when I quit, I had to give back my uniform except I had lost my jacket. And I lied and said, hey, you know, my, I gave it to my friend, you know, my other coworker, and they bought it, and they, they didn't say anything about it ever again. But that was so gnawing at me that I, you know, that I lied about that, and who knows where the hell that jacket is. So, you know, I looked up, like, how much is a uniform jacket, and, um, okay, I'll send them a check, you know, blah, 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 blah. And um, it was interesting. I, I remember hearing a, another OA friend of mine talking about her financial amends, like she had stolen something from work, and you know, and how do I pay this back? And when she had sent the check, you know, this other the woman who got it kind of called her up and was like, "Oh wow, thanks for doing that. You know, I'm in a program too, and you know, we don't have to cash this, we won't do it." And man, I got I got no response. They just cashed my check and just did it. You know, no, okay, whatever. But I'm clean, right? Um, or that side of the creek is clean. Um, I have, a, I have notes on amends. I got five minutes. Okay, so I um, I'll try to do these fast because I want to talk about living amends for myself. Um, I realized it's uh, again. Also, I, I I did have to make amends to somebody who was deceased. You know, I didn't go to my grandfather's 90th birthday party because because of my f- negative feelings about some other people in my family. I did. I wanted to avoid those people, and he died a month later. And oh my god, that was just ripping me apart. And I just. It was. It really hit me. I, was, I happened to be at the World Service Convention in New Orleans, and I think it was 2003 when this really hit me. And I just happened to be going back to my to that house after the convention, so I bought this nice postcard and I wrote out what I would say to him if he was alive. And I, you know, they, they we planted a tree for him in the backyard of my grandparents' house, and um, I just I just went out to the tree, and you know, I read it, and then I then I burnt it under the tree, which was quite interesting because it was really wet, and trying to you know, light something out there was hard. But I did it, and it just felt clean, you know. Um, um, I I did have the experience of um, making amends to people who I didn't did not owe amends to. There were two people in my life who um, actually caused me harm. They were pretty toxic, and it was. Um, a, a good thing for me to get them out of my life. And I, and I did it in a very subtle way. You know, we just let the f- friendship fade away. I didn't return phone calls as much. I didn't make plans with these people. You know, I just let them fade away. But I felt bad. Basically, I felt bad about feeling bad. 
I've kind of learned that, like, you know, if you feel bad, that's another thing about living amends to myself is I accept what is, and if I feel bad about something, that doesn't necessarily mean I've done something wrong. Um, so I'd written these people letters like, oh, I'm, you know, I ignored you, and I'm sorry for that, and blah, blah, blah. I didn't tell you what was wrong. And, and I both, I got letters back from both of them going, kind of going, WTF, you know. Um, one person even implying, like, are you okay? Like, I, I, I missed it. Anyway, they even wrote my parents, like, you know, thinking that I was dying, and I was just like, oh, God, I gotta let it go. I, I messed up. I'm sorry. Okay. Ugh. If I run into them and they mention it, I can just say that was a, I don't know. I, I'll, I, 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 could, I, can, I can deal with it. Um, but the most wonderful amends, I'm gonna talk about the three best ones um, before I get to living, is from both my parents and my brother. So, um, I made amends to my parents on both. They were both having on Christmas, and you know, I agreed with my sponsor that I didn't have to go through this whole litany of like, I'm sorry to this, I'm sorry to this, I'm sorry to this, I'm sorry to this, because it would be just it would have taken forever. And so I, I, we felt that the generally worded, you know, I, I'm really sorry for any trouble I caused you growing up. Um, and and I just remember that day, I felt so much love for them. Like having that conversation was just this really loving exchange between both of them. And I was so grateful that my parents are who they are. I mean, I'll acknowledge there's people out there whose parents do not deserve to have an adult relationship with them. I acknowledge that. You know, they did their best, but that still wasn't good enough, and it's still okay to have boundaries around people. That's, that's part of my living amends, just to jump forward. There are people I have boundaries around. I accept that there's limitations to my relationships with certain people, and you know what? I don't have to send them Christmas cards. I don't have to stay at their house. I don't have to, like, call them all the time. I don't have to, like, accept the unacceptable. That's, that's the truth. But my parents are acceptable people. I love them, and I'm glad they're both living, and I get to have a relationship with them, and awesome. How awesome is that? So when I made my amends, after kind of saying what I had to say, my parents had, I said pretty much the same thing to both of them, but they had different reactions. It was great. My dad, I got all like, oh, okay, well, you're, you know, children are supposed to give you a certain amount of grief, and that's cool, and we love you. We, I could tell he was really grateful to hear that. My mother... Was, this is so sweet. I just love this. Because I could tell she also had, a, had an I love you in there. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so glad you're doing better. We were so worried about you for a while. And it was just like, okay, thanks, Mom. And then my brother, I don't remember what day I made amends to my brother, but the, and, but the only thing I felt unclean about with him was a day I, because remember I mentioned he could eat and eat and eat and eat and not gain weight. And, you know, I remember saying to him once when we were teenagers, you know, when you get older, I hope you get fat. I got one minute. Oh, my God, you guys. I hope you get fat. And, and, he, and he very rightfully responded with, don't put that on me. You know, when you get older, you can, you can lose weight if you want to, but don't say that to me. And so I apologized for saying that to him because it was. That was mean. That was not cool. And he said, he, during the amends, he responds back. He's like, hey, cool, you know, but um, I think I was probably making fun of you for being fat at the time, which I don't think he was, but I, I'd forgotten he used to make, he did used to do that. Oh, okay. So it was kinda, I, got, I got an apology back because that was really nice. You know, not expected, and, but hey, cool. Okay, so just in my, like, 30 seconds, I just kind of want to, you know, talk about step 10. 10 is, like, we continue to take personal inventory, and when we're wrong, promptly admit it. I do that. I try to do that, you know, and I write out my feelings. If I'm feeling bad about something, do I owe amends or not owe amends? If I have to apologize, I will do that as soon as I can. Um, I've practiced forgiving people, like, praying for them, and it works. Oh, my God. You know, even if I don't mean it. It totally works. Say the words. I mean, I've prayed for ex-boyfriends. I hope he finds a woman who makes him happy. You know, <laughs> totally with that attitude. And it works, because really, after a few weeks of doing that, I meant it. It's like, yeah, I couldn't make him happy. Well, let's hope he finds somebody else who does. And, and then part of immense to myself is really practicing acceptance. Acceptance of what is right now, even if it feels not so great. You know? Um, and, another, and a layer of that, I've, I've realized, is I need to, I need to lower my 
unrealistic expectations of myself. I have to, I have to realize I can't expect to feel great about everything all the time. You know, I can't expect to be Superwoman or Wonder Woman all the time. I'm just not. I'm a human being. You know, I accept myself the way it is, and it really kind of makes it a little easier. So I guess my time's up. I, it wasn't as, who knows. You, you guys get to choose if you like my share or not, so thanks. <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Okay. Awesome. Our second speaker is Mary from San Jose. Hi, I'm Mary. Oh, I can take this off? Yeah, you can. Yeah, please. Okay, good. Okay. Can you see me? Yeah. <laughs> good. I'm Mary, an abstinent compulsive overeater. Hi. Hi. And the reason I use the word abstinent in front of compulsive overeater is at World Service, they wanted people to identify themselves as abstinent so that people who are not could say that would know that there's hope. So that's how I call myself now. Give you a little bit of my background. This is my fifth 12-step program. So I didn't come into OA right away. I think it's a very difficult program to work. And I admire all the people here because it means that you want to do steps eight and nine. That's why you're in here. You want to get that energy or get some permission to do it. So thank you for coming and choosing this workshop. When I was asked to do this topic of amends, the first part that came to me was the amends that I want to make to my body. I've been, I abused my body by stuffing it with food at inappropriate times, inappropriate food. What I did, the damage that I did, but the body is really resilient. This week at a yoga class, the teacher said, you are amazing. Because I've been able to not only restore myself, get to a place in health that I never had. So the body does forgive. And I get tremendous energy out of exercise. And how I knew that I was on the right track once I got my abstinence was I chose to eat around 6 in the morning, 6 to 7, then at noon, and then between 5 and 6 at night, and then I would be finished. Within a couple of months, my body just said yes. So I did get hungry at the appropriate times, but I stopped the grazing. Now, the first year that I was permanently absent, I didn't lose a pound, and people don't want to hear that. But because I had been in other 12-step programs, I know how the steps work. And I knew that I belonged here with you and that I knew I needed to find different kinds of food to bring into my body. 
So that was the message that I got right away. And then the energy. I used to, because I've taught for many years, I used to have a food fog. So I've had to make amends in work, is to come to work fully refreshed from sleep. I have a breakfast. I'm attentive. I'm present. And that also, I do a better job, and I leave feeling better. So one thing in doing amends, by the time you get to step eight and nine, you will have lost the shame or the guilt. That's not going to motivate you to make these changes and to make these apologies and to forgive. You are going to do it because it's the next right thing. If your higher power has come into your circle of working with your sponsor and other people in the program, starting with step one, when you get to step eight and nine, it's like this aisle here to walk through. You don't have the obstacles. You aren't stumbling and falling over yourself and turning red and hating yourself and eating over it. We don't eat over making amends. But I do want to give you a warning. I've, I've always sponsored and been sponsored, and I was taking a couple of women, and we got through step seven. Gosh, they had done each step very sincerely, and they didn't know each other, but they both quit. What they wanted to do is to continue the relationship with me because they thought maybe I was a counselor. And I said, no, I can't work with you if you leave OA, if you stop coming to meetings, if you stop doing service, if you stop doing the phone calls, because too many other people are looking for sponsors. So I, I, I just felt so badly. It's, they were very meaningful to me especially when they had worked that hard. When you get through step, step six and seven, you know, God removes these defects. Well, what happens there is a chasm, and you, the character defects leave or so minimize you don't use them anymore. They're not behavior that you want to own anymore, and you have this void. But if you can be quick about it and, and write, like some of you are doing today, and go to a lot of meetings and work with newcomers, you get that void filled, and then you get the courage and the encouragement to do steps eight and nine. And then after you've done step nine, you get 10, 11, and 12, and those are just so nurturing steps. So going back to talking about making amends to my body, doing the exercises, getting a much better posture. I've even taken a class in grounding and in breath work. And I would laugh. Why does anybody need to know about breath? Well, I was only breathing from here to here. And, in fact, this a year ago this spring, I talked to my yoga teacher, and I said, you know, I can only take a breath one, two, and three. I can only go. She said, well, you have grief. You're carrying grief in your chest. And 
to acknowledge that the grief from the past relationships, what I gave up because of my addictions, what I lost, what I can't get back. And I visualized the grief as kernels, just like the gold, and I visualized them in my chest, and they broke up. They came back, and that was a great wake-up call. What am I grieving that is unconscious? Well, that hasn't come back. I've done the work. And so now I can breathe all the way up, and I can breathe all the way down. But I want to pass that on to you. When we're carrying the sadness, get it out. Get it out at meeting level or with your sponsor. The shame and guilt that we feel is way too much. We're taking on way too much. We're only one person. We're not responsible for our families. We're not responsible for our children who are addicted also. We're not responsible. Just give us where we are responsible. And dear God, give us the tools so we can apologize and forgive and make amends. So today, I do a lot of exercise because I have that sense that I owe that, my, I owe that to myself. Because I get the blood flowing, and I get a nice appetite, and the foods that I weren't interested in eating, the 12 ounces of vegetables, the uh, lack of grains, uh, no longer doing all the snacking, I have saved so much money. <laughs> and restitution, I, I want to talk about a couple of those because that's part of my story. Uh, there's a big supermarket, and I would go shop at the bins, and I can still taste that food. And I would only eat one or two. So I did send money to Safeway, and they have a huge fund because of the AA people also. <laughs> 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 yeah, so they have this fund and they give it away. They don't put it into their profits. Uh, one, another time I, I made a restitution to a cleaners. I had taken my shirts in and said they were men's shirts. And because I, I was PO'd at having to pay $4 versus $1 for the same shirt. And they got this letter and this money and they... They didn't know who it was from because I did a money order. And they just thought that was so great that somebody had realized what they had done. Thank you. When I was teaching, I used the phone call at lunchtime and after school. I used the, the uh, phone to make phone calls to my family and to other people. I don't know why I couldn't do it when I got home. I think it was because it was free. I sent $1,000 to that school district because I taught there for eight years. And I sent it to the board. And the superintendent knew who I was. But I did that amends, and I said, I made telephone calls at lunchtime and after school using your lines. And so I made that amends. Now, how did I get that money? Well, God just gave me a job that I was able to be on call 
And if I was not working that week, I still got that amount of money. So that money came into my life, and there it was, $1,000. I said, go for it. It's a school district. (laughs) So I really, really like that. I'm very grateful. I, I put this on my gratitude list. I'm teachable. I learn so much from each of you. Your stories are like my stories. Your solutions are ones that I want to try. I'm also lucky I never left this program one week. I have, thank you, I have 15 years of abstinence back to back. It took me three years. And that part of that three years was, was getting to one meal three times a day and no grazing. And what I lost was in my head and my emotions. So when I got into 12-step programs, they had on a wall behind here the 12 steps and the 12 traditions, and I knew I was home. No one brought me in. I read an article, and I left a marriage. And I read those 12 steps and 12 traditions, and people told me to get the big book. Now, read the first 164 pages, and you won't understand it. It's quite deep, but read it over and over again. And I did what you told me. God, good orderly directions. I've been given suggestions. I've been given advice. I've mirrored you, and it's paid off. Look at this wonderful weekend that we have. And so many people and so many brand new people coming here. About a third of the people last night stood up their their first convention. And we want to make amends to ourselves to get enough sleep. Like Katie said, to avoid the toxic relationships. To just leave those behind. And to make amends and our lists work really well. And then If you have a sense of humor, people show up in your life. I didn't know I needed to make amends for them, but I look around and they're in my life, maybe only temporarily, but they are there for me to make amends. Now, in receiving amends, I don't, I I need to do my part and I don't need to make judgments on if that person understands what I'm doing or why. You know, I can explain it, or I don't have to. I've done the steps almost once a year, and I've done the traditions a few times. So it's really, really comforting to know that that you can do them again. Why? Is because God reveals more under the layers, under the rose petals. There's more to me. And like some of the character defects that I've just, like judgment and being critical, gosh, I've had to do that over and over again with my sponsors. And I've, I've chipped away at judgment and lack of acceptance and the need for control. I've been able to do that, and there's so much less in my life. So if I tell myself, this is the only time I'm going to do a four-step and have it last for a year, I've lost a year 
of healing because you get healing once you do the fifth step. You start to heal. Your skin, if you have a bruise, your health just brings it vibrant and you heal. Also, an incentive to do step nine is the promises come true. It's flabbergasting what the promises are for you. If we all pulled our imaginations together, we couldn't come up with some of the events that are wonderful, the promises. I'm still working. I'm 72, and I have a passion for what I do, and I'm going to keep on working for maybe another 10 years because I have such a passion. And I am working... I've worked the steps around my work a few times, and I've made all kinds of amends around my teaching. I've made the amends for that. And God is giving me new opportunities. Do you know it always gets better? Maybe something happens and you can't replace it or recreate it, but you get something else instead. So that's the incentive, is to get the recovery, get the healing, sleep at night, Wake up in the morning. Wake up after good dreams. I have wonderful dreams, and the people in my dreams, I'm cooperating with them. I'm finding out what matters to them. What can I do for them? How can I be of service? The structure that we have in this program is really wonderful for an addict like me. Everywhere I turn... 360 degrees, I have structure. I have a reason. I have an explanation. And our wonderful literature, the uh, book, Spirituality, it's a green book that's out there. Oh, the recovery, the spiritual awareness that people have today because of the healing. This 12-step program is miraculous. And when you read about things that happen in the newspaper and a hero or heroine loses their life over something they've done, that's 12-step work. We are everywhere in the world where goodness is, where freedoms are being found, where people are loving each other. The principle for this step is love. And it's been really hard for me sometimes to love. I've, it's easier for me if I build a big trench so you can't get close to me. But when you get close to me, it turns out you still like me. You think I'm okay, you forgive me, you accept me. And I certainly do that for you. So part of my gratitude is writing letters and talking and dreaming to people who are no longer here. But these people, I believe, are looking down, and I get, I get God things. Fireworks last night at 10 o'clock outside the window. That was a gift from God, the synchronicity of, of being here with you and then seeing that beautiful artistic creative display of light. The, the, uh, our literature says to make direct amends. If I only think about making amends, I feel better, but 
it's not the whole truth. If I do action, if I change myself, and I love you at a deeper level, and I do things for you, that's restitution and that's making amends. And by being present and abstinent, every day God speaks to me. And God speaks in a language that I have willingness to ask for help. Thank you so much, and good luck with your amends, and I'll be looking forward to hearing from you. All right, thank you, Mary. And our third and final speaker is Brian from Santa Rosa. Hi, I'm Brian. I'm a compulsive overeater. And I am so glad to be here. And I am so glad you're all here. Um, I am a little nervous, and I think that's a good thing. It's wonderful to care. It's very wonderful to care. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about my story in the past and then kind of work through up and through the ninth step, and hopefully uh, there's something in there for all of us. I came into OA... November 1st, 1984 was my first meeting. And the way I got to OA was a little different. I don't know that I would have ever sought out OA. I lived in such a state of denial, I had no clue. My life was a mess. I was obese. And I would have, I had no idea OA existed. I knew AA existed because my whole family's alcoholics. I I hadn't joined AA, but I knew about 12-step programs. And what happened is my ex-wife now was seeing a counselor And the counselor said just flat out to her, is your husband still fat? And she's like, yeah. He goes, I want to see him one time. So I come in to see him, and this guy was a I-have-been-struck-away-evangelistic type person. (laughs) So I always describe it as I was 12-step by a (laughs) two-by-four. He said to me, you're a compulsive overeater, and you need to go to OA. And there's a couple things that he said that really I found out were true because I had no idea. He said, if you are a compulsive reader, you'll leave this meeting and you'll go eat. And I was at that time working at a bank and I had a class at the junior college in the area. And I decided I'm just going to get a little bite to eat before I went to that class. So I pulled into a fast food restaurant, drive through, got something. And then I pulled into the next fast food drive through. <laughs> And actually, no, the next one I walked in, and they weren't fast enough, so I left and drove to another one. And then I picked up something else at that drive-thru, pulled into the parking lot of the JC, and started eating. And the beauty of my mind, and many of us can relate, is I'm sitting in the parking lot eating, saying to myself, he is wrong. (laughs) But one of my great character defects was I was a people pleaser. So I had promised him I would go to a meeting, and I did. And that was my first spiritual experience. When I came to that first meeting, I'm in my suit from the bank. It's at a psychotherapy office. Everybody's sitting on the floor in pillows. And I'm like, whatever. 
And they're passing that sheet around that we all sign and, and put our phone numbers on. I'm like, I got no part of that thing. I don't know what that's about, but I am not signing that thing. But what happened was that was my first spiritual experience because I suddenly felt that I had been carrying the weight of the world. I had no idea about that. And it had been set aside for a moment. And I felt, oh, wow. And that's what started my OA journey. Um, I got abstinent right away for three years. The program was easy to me. I had judgments beyond belief. I had no idea why all the rest of the people didn't get it instantly. And I judged. And what I found about judging is pretty much everything I've ever judged in my life, I get to experience. And I mean experience. And that's been very beneficial to me now. Because if two people walked in that door dressed as Superman and whatever and the most elaborate costumes, I would just be like, right on, welcome to the meeting. Because I don't want to walk in that door to the next meeting (laughs) wearing that outfit. And I would actually be sincere, though. I would really care. I would be glad they showed up just like that. And as I got in and worked the steps, that was really my second spiritual experience, was working with another human being and working through the 12 steps. Even though I didn't maybe get quite the fix of my character defects that I was looking for, it was the beginning of a journey that changed my life. For the first time in my life, I connected with people in the program. And what I have found by reading the big book, which... When I came in, you know, the other literature didn't exist. We just had the big book. Um, is there's certain things in there that are threads that I find that almost all of us can relate to, and that is that I always felt separate in life, always felt separate and disconnected. And my whole life, I've been restless, irritable, and discontent. And how I can relate to a bunch of alcoholics from the 30s that had the same thing I don't know, but it is, in my mind, the human nature of people with addiction, and it certainly is for me. So to fast forward a long ways, I had many years in the middle of some ups, some downs, some ups, some downs, a lot of binging, a lot of binging, and then some recovery. And it's interesting because I hear a lot of people say, I would love to stand up here and tell you I've been abstinent for 27 years. Well, I don't want to tell you I've been absent for 27 years. I am thrilled to tell you I've been abstinent for three years and three months, more or less, because today I truly don't want to shut the door on the past. I am grateful for every single day of what happened to me in my life because it is a journey, and I'm so, so grateful that it's brought me here. Um, Part of what changed me in my life was about four years ago, a little over, my entire life just literally fell apart. Everything that I would consider to be my life. Due to the real estate crash, it was like slow torture of losing everything, everything financially. In the same period of time of about a year, my mother passed away, which was a very complex relationship. You know, I was happy and unhappy. 
I'd been married for 20-some years, and I was a mess. I had depression, binging, and my wife left me after 20-some years of marriage. And then, right after that, my father passed away. And I got to the point where I didn't know if I wanted to live or not. You know. But what is... The miracle is I kept the structure of OA around me. I met with a group of people, not only meetings, but we had a little private big book study. We'd read the big book once a week, group of five, six, seven people, and we'd discuss it, read a page, discuss. Everything I read in there, I'm like, oh, my God, that's me. These people were all abstinent. I'm reading these stories about alcoholics, and it's, it's me. It's me. The way their life is, it's me. The way they're binging, it's me. And I finally made a decision in the midst of that that I would do whatever it took. I don't know that I really wanted to live, but I decided I'll do whatever it took. If the structure of OA hadn't been around me, that would have never happened. I don't know that I'd be here today. Um, In getting up, working towards the ninth step, which is what I'm supposed to be talking about, um, I just want to say that when that miracle started to happen for me, it really made me see the value of keep coming back. I have a good friend every day that he's at a meeting, he writes, don't quit before the miracle on the We Care list. I have lived that. In the time that my life has changed, not only have I gotten what I feel is a better spiritual understanding of God, which I have no understanding of what God is, um, but I know something's out there that's helped me. I have made deep friendships, deep friendships in OA. I have found the love of my life in OA, a sister person that is in this program, and we're getting married in October. You know, the miracles that abound are what are described in the promises, which we don't get them by walking into a meeting. We, We get them by working through the steps. And we don't have to finish the ninth step because it says when we are halfway through, you know, halfway through, we're going to start getting those things. Um, and one of the absolute, absolute secrets I have found in the ninth step is you have to do your fourth step, okay? <laughs> now, I don't know if you've known anybody or experienced this that we're on the great American novel. I've been working on my fourth step oh, since 85, you know, and it's, it's getting close. Um, and I'm not saying we all have to rush through the steps, but if we just don't get through them, if we don't get through one to eight, we, we can't do nine. And, and I think in the context of looking back, I have a lot of discussion about this with my fiancé, though, is I want to read something in the doctor's opinion from the big book. In this discussion, Uh, or excuse me, I want to read uh, a story. It's about Dr. Bob. It's a story about he sold himself short. And it's about Dr. Bob and someone he sponsored. And this is how it worked back then in this story. The guy describes, the day before I was due to go back to Chicago, a Wednesday, and Dr. Bob's afternoon off, he had me down to the office, and we spent three or four hours formally going through the six-step program, which is what it was back then, as it was at that time. 
Dr. Bob led me through all these steps. You know, fascinating back then. At the moral inventory, he brought up some of my worst defects, things like that. Um, and they went over at great lengths. Then they kneeled down and did a prayer. And then I assume he went out and made some amends. But he was done. Okay? They worked the steps in the afternoon at Dr. Bob's office on his day off. And I, I think we need to balance that, or at least I feel that we need to balance that. You can choose whatever you want as to how the program started and maybe how we've gotten to. Um, I work with someone right now, and you know, I said, you know, you've written a lot down here about your first step. Let's, why don't you go home and next week we'll wrap it up. You know, if you don't remember something, who cares? The steps after the ninth step, we'll, we'll pick up the rest. Um, so, again, ninth step, simple, do one through eight. And in working the ninth step, I believe the goal that really begins to happen at that point is that we begin to get an entire psychic change. And that's what I have had happen to me now. My whole way of life, everything has changed. It describes in the doctor's opinion about that happening, that there is no other hope and no other solution. You know, I, I can't just sit and, and hope that if I learn to understand this better or nutrition better or my psychology and your psychology better, I need a total psychic change. I, used to, I was brought up in the Catholic Church. I don't follow that anymore. But I used to always hear people talking about being reborn, and I've always considered that to be in a religious context because that's how I always heard it. I believe that is the context of what has happened to me in this program, not in a religious sense, but in a spiritual sense of being given this wonderful gift, this absolute wonderful gift. In the ninth step specifically, there's a couple things I want to talk about. You know, making amends, I think it's completely natural to have some fear about that. You know, I mean, how would it not be? But by working through a sponsor and having the support of this program, it's manageable. I mean, it's totally manageable. I've never met anyone where it's as bad as they thought it would be. I'm sure there's people out there where they've experienced that, but I haven't met them. So for most of us, it's better than we thought it would be. And one example of that is the amends that, to me, was the hardest to make was to my parents. Okay? It's pretty clear. I've got my side of the street. They've got their side of the street. Their side is the dumps, okay? My side, I thought, had a little bit of litter on the sidewalk. But it's clear. I've got to clean up my side of the street. And I was very fearful of making this amends. You know, Clearly, looking back, I was not in the most spiritual spot. But that's how can I be? I haven't gone through the steps yet. So I do the best I can. And I made an appointment with them. I came over to their house. I sat down on the couch. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do it. I mean, I committed to do it. And I said, you know, something like, you know, Mom and Dad, I'm I'm in this program, and I want to talk to you about the things that I've done in my life that I feel I need to make amends to you about. And my mom goes, oh, my God. This is like that thing your brothers did. And I, like, completely (laughs) forgot... Both my brothers were in AA. They'd already gone down this route. So this, this immense thing that I am fearing, she's like, yeah, whatever. You know, you know, like, come on, get through it. Let's move on. So, you know, clearly that was not the challenge that I thought it would be, but it was actually the challenge I thought it would be. 
know, and the fact that I went and did it began to change my life. And I had a, my first sponsor, who I believe literally was the person who saved my life with the program. He gave me some useful little tidbits on how to do tough amends. Thanks. He let me know that sandwiching an amends can be very helpful. If I've got a tough amends to make, call someone you like, a friend in the program, and say, I'm going to do this. Then make the amends and call them back and tell them you did it. And it makes it kind of like surrounds the amends in love. And I think that's a really wonderful way to think about the amends. Um, And the thing about doing them is we agreed if we want to recover that we have to go to any lengths. But we don't have to go to them alone. You know, we're all together on this journey, all together on the journey. The things that help me see the amends that I need to make today, and this might be getting forward into 10th step, whatever, but it doesn't matter because it's all about amends, is one of the things that changed my life dramatically is reading page 86 out of the big book every day. I read it every day for a year, maybe a little bit more. At night, the part that really touched me is when we retire at night, we constructively review our day. And these are the things that change my life that come up next. Is where were we resentful, selfish, dishonest, or afraid? And I think that describes virtually anything that I need to make amends about in my life. And for me, during this last several years, the thing that came up that I found I had to make amends about, and much of it was a living amends, was selfish. I get so sick of going to bed every night, opening it up. Well, what are we going to have today? Oh, selfish again. Yeah. Yeah. Mary's talking to me, and all I want to do is tell her what I want to say about it, you know. All I want to do is go to this party and, you know, what am I going to get out of it? I'm not thinking about what can I put into it every single day. And I'd like to tell you that that doesn't happen anymore. No, I don't want to tell you that because I'm happy with my past. You know, it's changing. It is changing. And selfishness is mentioned all through the big book about the key of our problem. And making amends to me is like the step out of that problem we start to get out of ourself. You know, maybe in the fifth step we start, but the ninth step is like walking into the world and starting to make those changes. I kind of want to finish up just mentioning a, a couple of things. There's some sayings that I've heard, you know, in OA... And one of them has been, stick with the winners, okay? I used to hear that a lot back when I came in. And I hope it makes some of your hackles come up a little bit. Because I I just want to say what I believe that means. What I believe stick with the winners means is, you know, if we all look around next to each other, these are all the winners. Every single person that comes into this program is a winner, Some of us get it right away, like I did, and then learn that I didn't get it. And then now I'm in a process, I think I get it, but 10 years from now I might be back, wow, I really didn't get it. You know, but it doesn't matter. 
if we come into this program, we are winners, without a doubt. If we keep coming to the program, lives will change. I've been in 27 years, and one of the benefits of that is everybody who hangs around their life changes. It, it hurts my heart a little bit about the people that I don't see anymore. I've yet to run into someone outside the program who left that their life improved dramatically. Actually, there was one person. She had a true spiritual experience at her church. Um, and in how OA works in my life today is it's not about putting OA in my life. It's not about I'm trying to do this into my life. It's now about I put my life in OA. It's as simple as that. And the last thing I want to finish with is this is one of my favorite little stories and quotes in the big book. And it's on the story called Promoted to Chronic. And what this person said in their story, and the stories are so amazing. I read them all the time. How I can relate to these crazy alcoholics, I don't know. <laughs> but it says, I realize that all I'm guaranteed in life is today. The poorest person has no less, and the wealthiest has no more. Each of us has but one day. What we do with it is our own business. How we use it is up to us individually. Thanks. Thank you, Brian. Okay, the meeting is now open for three-minute pitches. Uh, the speaker release form. Thank you, Larry. We ask that you limit your share to three minutes and confine your share to your experience, strength, and hope on the topic discussed today. This session ends at 11.15. And so it says I'm going to come back here at 11.12. So we have till 11.12. So the first three-minute speaker is Larry. I'm Larry, and I'm a compulsive eater. Hi, Larry. <clears throat> uh, these, you guys were awesome. Hope to get you to Sacramento. Uh, <clears throat> I'm going to be assisting people up here, so I want to I get up here and connect. <clears throat> amends. I, I found amends were a lot easier than I thought. And the reason is because I did steps one through eight. <laughs> and I had a sponsor that guided me and directed me through the amends. Uh, he had me make out um, about six or seven categories. Uh, the first category was um, people on the list who didn't belong there, because I have a love addiction, and I like to take responsibility for things that I'm not responsible for. So that was the easiest part. Uh, the second part was um, people that I would injure if I would go out and make amends to. And there was three of them. Uh, one, for example, was a a woman I dated in Santa Barbara, and I donated money to the athletic fund at a high school that she was a cheerleader coach. Two others, uh, spiritual communities that I donated money to. That was pretty easy. Um, it got a little harder after that because the people I had to make amends to were the people that were the closest to me and I loved the most. I had to go back to my former wife. Uh, I had to make amends because when I drank uh, uh, caffeine, ate sugar, and flour, I was like an alcoholic. And I made amends for, you know, not being available. I made amends to my three children, my oldest daughter in particular. Um, she, had the, she had this unti uncanny timing 
to catch me in the disease. And I would see the disgust on her face. And I had the same disgust of what I see my mom who died from this disease at 52 years old. And I, through this program, I have forgiven her because she's one of us. And I don't know if she has ever exposed this program or not, but she did the best she could. Um, it got tougher after that. I had to go bit in hand and make amends. I had to make a financial uh, amends to the Sacramento Natural Co-op because I was stealing food. I did this in the last 12 years. I was um, sampling food out of the bulk bins. I had a, wrote a $150 check out, went to the manager. He said, you know what? You're the first person in the history of the store who's ever done that. Thank you. Um, I went to make an amends to a best friend in high school. I dated a woman in his office. It turned out really bad. He was really hurt by that. It was one he's taken to the grave because I thought that he you know, did some harm to me as well. We're both uh, All-American in football. We sat at this table, just you know, dwarfed the size of this table. And we were two men sitting there uh, sobbing. Um, you know, snot was running on my nose. Now, I've got to tell you something. The, um, the benefit of this is that I can walk freely in the world today. I owe nothing to nobody. Okay? And I have an obligation because I'm a sober man in this program that has so much has been given to me. I have a life that has been granted that's beyond my wild expe expectations. And I owe these people, these amends. I do the steps every year, and the list gets shorter and shorter. I do a 10-step every night, and I make amends promptly when I'm wrong. Um, thank you. I love this program. Hi, my name's Cheryl, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, and I'm not doing the steps for 20 years, but it is taking me a while, and I just finished seven, so I really haven't gotten to the amends, and I know you're not supposed to jump ahead, but I had an occasion this year where I had to go ahead and make an amends, even though I wasn't there yet. And um, the person I'm closest to in the world is my brother, even though he lives in Texas, and I don't see him very often. And no offense, but he's married to a crazy woman. And... Um, <laughs> I don't see them very often, and I just try to tolerate her because she just drives me crazy. And um, I've been at their house several times, and um, she's a hoarder and a clutterer, and, um, and, and the house is dirty, and it drives me nuts. And I spend my whole time that I'm there cleaning. And I realized as I was doing my fourth step that I don't clean at her house out of a feeling of, oh, let me help you. I want to be helpful. I'm cleaning in her house out of a judgment because it's like my brother works hard. He provided you with this beautiful mansion of a brand new house, and this is how you keep it, you ungrateful bitch. You know, that's really <laughs> And I went to their house a couple of years ago, and I realized it was unannounced. I didn't know they were going to be having company, their daughter. And my brother's stepdaughter, her daughter, was killed in an accident. She was 24. And I did kind of think maybe I was helping that time because I knew they weren't expecting to have company, and I spent the whole time cleaning. And let me tell you, you can find things to clean. <laughs> but anyway, when I was doing my fourth step, when I was talking about my judgmentalness and my perfectionism, that was one of the things that really struck me. I, I have no right to go into her house and do that. I went to visit them in March of this year because their daughter had, the other daughter had had big surgery and I went down to help 
uh, with her after they got her back from the hospital. And I didn't clean. I noticed those dust bunnies in the corner and all that kind of stuff, but I didn't clean a thing. I concentrated on sitting on the couch with her, watching what she wanted to watch on TV, and I focused on the fact that she takes excellent care of my severely handicapped niece, who is not her daughter, but she's made her her daughter. She makes my brother happy. She still drives me crazy, but I'm looking at her good points, and I didn't clean a thing. My brother and I, who are the only two that actually biological of the same dysfunction that we grew up in, spent a lot of time talking about that, and she just sat and listened. But on the way to the airport, I told my brother, you know, I'm doing the 12-step program, and in the fourth step, I realized I was not helpful to your wife. I was being judgmental when I was cleaning your house, and I didn't do it this time. And she said, oh, believe me, Gail noticed that you didn't clean this time. <laughs> and she's very grateful, because when you were here last time, you washed her favorite bath mat, and you faded it. And she, and she also feels that you judge her about her house. And he's right, I do. So when I got home, I wrote her a letter of amends and sent it to her, even though I really wasn't on that step yet. And while I, I could justify and say, no, I was just trying to be helpful, no, I wasn't. I wasn't being helpful. I was being judgmental and thinking, why can't you clean your own house? And I don't feel that way anymore. She has her life. I have mine. So thank you. Right. That is all the time we have for sharing. It is now time to close this session. Before we close, I want to remind you that the hotel is offering a cash-only lunch option in the atrium from 11.30 to 12.30 for your convenience. Let's thank our speakers. Thank you, Katie, Mary, and Brian.